Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pitttownchurch.com. Good morning. My name's Meredith, which is on my name tag. And I also have some other stickers here, which are the champion of all stickers. They're scratch and sniff stickers. They're from my daughter, Winnie. And if you'd like some, I'm sure you can come and see her after the service. It's my joy to be reading the Bible for us today. Um, The Bible is God's word, and it is great that we get to read and hear what God has to say to us. And we're reading today from Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 28. You can read in your Bibles if you've brought them. You can use the QR code on the back of your chair to go to today's passage or it'll be on the screen. Romans 8, starting at verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How how will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Well, everyone, let's, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for who you are, that you are the God who loves us and is committed to us and has been so faithful to us. Father, we pray now as we come to your word that you would help us, that you would teach us, and that you would help us to open our minds and open our hearts to what your word has to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to show you something important this morning. Something It's, it's something special to me. I've not talked about this very much, and I've never spoken about it from the front like this either to, to a group like this, but it's something that I think about a lot. I want to show you the evolution of the KFC logo over the last few 
decades. And uh, what I want to show you is uh, when, when you see this, it's, it's something that you will never be able to unsee. That's what I'm hoping. That from today onward, you would see the world differently. So, first of all, here's the logo from the 90s. That's what it looked like. That is the late 1990s. You can see it's simplified, but still quite a lot of detail. It's the colonel, it's his shoulders. You can see his, that's him. Now, this next one we'll put on the screen is from the early 2000s. A bit more simplified, still definitely him. Shoulders, shirt, now he's wearing an apron. Bit more of a man of the people, you might say. One of us. Now, before I show you the next one, though, this one is from 2014. And before we put it up, it, it gets very simple, and you'll see that. But what you might see is that the logo now becomes very simplified. It's just a giant head on a little stick figure body. And once you see it, what I'm hoping is you'll never be able to unsee it. Let's show, this is the 2014. See that? Now my hope is that you will never be able to unsee that ever again. It's just a giant head on a little stick figure body. There are some things you could, that's up to you, Tim, you can leave it up there for the whole sermon <laughs> or maybe take it down. There are some things that once you see them, you can't unsee them. Once you know them, you can't unknow them. And knowing God is like that. Once you know him, the world doesn't look the same ever again. And what I'm hoping that we're going to see here this morning from this passage in Romans 8, what I'm hoping is that we'll see a totally new way of processing the world and processing the things that happen to us and processing even the things that have happened to us. And what I'm hoping is once we see it, that we won't be able to unsee it. Now, today we're launching a new series, one of our recurring series that we'll keep on coming back to over time, like our Remember Jesus series. This one is called God for Us. And the idea of it is it's a series on God himself. Who is he? What is he like? How do we know? Because a lot of these topics, a lot of these things can be challenging, difficult, complicated, and the books that you might read are challenging, difficult, complicated, academic, and they're not written for normal people like us, but God is for normal people like us. He's not just for academic theologians, he's for normal theologians like us. Because all of us in this room have a theology. Theology just means words and thoughts about God. All of us have thoughts about who he is. The question's not, do you have a theology? Because you do. The question is, is your theology right? 
is it what the Bible says? Is it really who God is? Is who you think God is who he really is? Is what you think he's like what he's really like? Is what you think he does what he really does? So, we're in this passage at the end of Romans chapter 8. And what I want us to see, we're going to start in the middle in verse 35. And what I want us to see is there are three things that Paul says about Christ's love for us. And then we're going to see those three things. Then we're going to go back and see what is the summary, what is the grounds of those three things. So, the first one from verse 35, nothing can separate us from Christ's love. Verse 35, Paul says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height, depth, or any created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this is, this is a great passage. Even just those words by themselves, there is so much comfort in this passage. Notice the question in verse 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Who? But then he then goes on to mention a whole bunch of what's, not who's. Affliction, anguish, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. They're not who's, they're what's. And they're big, intimidating what's. Sword, danger, nakedness, famine. These are big deals. And then in verse 38, he goes even bigger. Death, life, angels, rulers, present things, things to come big things. But he says, nothing and no one has the power to separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing in the present, nothing that would come in the future, nothing, nothing, nothing has the power to separate you from Christ's love for you. But you might think that these things don't separate us or can't or won't because they won't happen to us. That you might think, and people do think, that because God loves us, because God loves you, therefore, bad things won't happen to us. People think that, but it's not right. It's not true. And you probably have experienced this in your own life. You know it's not true. In verse 36, Paul quotes from Psalm 44. And in Psalm 44, the psalmist writes about how back in the day, the nation of Israel was prosperous and victorious. They won their 
battles, they overcame their enemies. And it wasn't because of the strength of their armies or their skill with their swords or anything like that. It was because God gave them the victory. But then the psalmist goes on and says, that was what it was like back then. But now we're not victorious. We're losing. We're retreating. In fact, we're being killed all day long. And the psalmist says it feels like God is asleep. It feels like he's hiding his face from them. Feels like he's forgotten them. You ever felt like that? Ever felt like God has forgotten you? That he's not interested in you? That he's fallen asleep at the wheel? Ever felt like you've said to him, you know, I have given you my life. God, I've, I've trusted you with this. And it seems like you've just fallen asleep at the wheel and you've driven my life off into a ditch. And it feels like what I should do is maybe take back the wheel, take back control. Ever felt like that? Ever thought those kind of thoughts? The psalmist has, that's exactly how he feels. He feels like God is asleep at the wheel and he's driven Israel off into a ditch. And so what Paul says here in verses 35 and 36 is very important. Like verse 36, as it is written in Psalm 44, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. They're dying. Bad things are happening. Affliction happens, anguish happens, persecution happens, even the sword. And he says, because of you, God, we're trying to obey you. We're trying to follow you. We're trying to do what you want us to do. And because of you, we're being put to death all day long. So this is the second thing that Paul wants us to know. Christ's love does not eliminate our suffering. Or another way to put that is your circumstances tell you nothing about whether Christ loves you or not. Let me say that again because that's just, it's so important. Your circumstances tell you nothing about whether Christ loves you or not. A flood tells you nothing about whether Christ loves you or not. Getting sick tells you nothing about whether Christ loves you or not. Losing your job tells you nothing about whether Christ loves you or not. Your house could flood a hundred times and it would tell you nothing about whether Christ loves you or not. Everyone that you love could turn their back on you and walk away from you. That tells you nothing about whether Christ loves you or not. And so... If your circumstances tell you nothing about whether Christ loves you, then where do you look? How can you know? How, what tells you whether Christ loves you or not? And in Romans, Paul has a few ways and a few places that he says this. But in our passage, he says it in verse 32. He says, 
He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? God's son is the most valuable, precious thing in the universe. And God offered him up for us all. He did not spare his own son, the most valuable thing in the universe. How much do you think God has to love you to give you his own son? See the logic that Paul uses here? God has given us something that is the most valuable thing in the universe. Everything else that exists combined is less valuable than what he has already given us. He's given us the most valuable thing, his own son. So if he's already given us the most valuable thing that exists, how will he not also give us less valuable things? He's already given us the most valuable, his own son. And so you wake up in the morning and you think to yourself, does God still love me? I look around my life and it doesn't look like it. Maybe it doesn't feel like it. I can't see anything that makes me think he loves me. You wake up and you feel like that. You think like that. And so then you say to yourself, well, Craig, or whatever your name is, Craig, did Jesus die on the cross for you? The answer is yes. Have I found any new information that would make me think that didn't happen? No. Well then, in that case, of course God loves you. Just get out of bed and get on with it. That's the best thing to do. You can't tell from your circumstances whether God loves you or not. Your circumstances tell you nothing about that topic. So, point one, nothing can separate us from Christ's love. Point two, your circumstances tell you nothing about Christ's love. His love does not eliminate suffering. But then point three, there's more to it than even that. Because in verse 37, Paul uses what I think is a strange phrase. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. What does it mean to be more than victorious? What other translations put it more than conquerors? What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? In the original, in the original language, the literal word is hyper-conqueror. What does it mean to be a hyper-conqueror? What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? What does it mean in affliction, anguish, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. What does it mean in all these things to be a hyper-conqueror? It's just such a strange idea. I think the answer is that Paul has already answered this for us at the beginning of the passage that was read out. Back in verse 28. In verse 28, he says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. 
all things. All things work together for the good of those who love God. Now, there was a time when I hated that verse. Hated it. And the reason why I hated it is because it felt so trite. It felt so patronizing. It felt vague. It felt bland and nebulous. It felt like it felt like an empty platitude, like it was just a vacuous self-help, toxic positivity thing. Everything works for good. But I felt like that and I hated it because I didn't actually understand what Paul was actually saying. I hadn't actually read it carefully and give it the respect of listening to it carefully. I just wrote it off and that was wrong. Because the question that I should have asked and the question that you should ask is what good does Paul specifically have in mind? Because he has a specific thing. It's not just a general vague goodness. He has a very specific thing in mind. And he explains exactly what he's referring to in the next verse. Because verse 29 starts with the word for, which means because. He's, He's explaining what he means. So verse 29, he says, For because those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, the good that all things are working together to produce in me, produce in you, the good is that we would be conformed into the image of his son that we would become more like Jesus, that we would grow in our Christ-like character, the watermelon from our Vital Signs series. All things work together for my good. All things. Right? All things is a lot of things. Think about that. That's all the things. All things work together for good. All things includes anguish, affliction, persecution, famine, sword, all the things. So what does it mean to be a hyper conqueror? What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? It means that those enemy forces, those negative circumstances, instead of doing me bad, actually do me good. These these enemies work in my best interest. God uses them for my good to transform and conform me more and more into the image of his son. And more than anything else in the world, what I want is to be like Jesus. What I want, and if this is what you want, if more than anything in the world, if more than success, Fame, money, comfort, popularity, health. If more than anything else in the world, you want to be more like Jesus. If what you want is to be conformed into the image of the Son, then in all things, you will be a hyper conqueror because even terrible things will just be helping you get to where you ultimately want to go. More like Jesus. So, point one, 
nothing can separate us from Christ's love. Point two, your circumstances tell you nothing about Christ's love. The way you know that he loves you is that God gave his only son for us. That's how you know. And so, of course, he loves you. Point three, Christ's love makes us hyper conquerors because all things, even terrible, atrocious things, don't work against us, but actually work in our best interests to transform us into the image of the Son, which is ultimately where we want to go. Which brings us to verse 31, where he says, What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? And of course, he doesn't mean who is against us like there's no one against us. He doesn't mean that. His whole point is lots of people, lots of things will be against us. His point's not that we'll live just blissful lives, just lives where we skip from one success to the next, loved and respected by man and beast, that will just dance between the raindrops of adversity and soar over struggles and suffering like a dove and that will just leap over loss and pain like a majestic gazelle. Nothing ever touching us like this because the Lord is at our side. That's not his point. The point is not that no one and nothing will be against us. The point is that them being against us is rendered irrelevant by Christ's love. Whatever and whoever is against us, whatever and whoever is against you, is actually working for us because God is clever enough to turn it for our good, to make us more like Jesus, which is the main thing we wanted in the first place. But it all comes down to those four words. God is for us. And do you think that's true? In Christ, God is for you, not against you. And so in those moments where you're sinfulness and your failure is pressed into view so clearly and you feel horrible. In those moments, what do you need to know? Well, you need to know that God is not against you for your sin. You need to know that he is for you against your sin. That's what you need to know. And in those moments when terrible things happen in your life, when things do not go well, when they do not go to plan, when everything is just disappointment and pain, what do you need to know? Well, you need to know that your circumstances tell you nothing about whether God loves you or not. Jesus died for you. And so you can tell yourself, Craig, Jesus died for you. And so of course he loves you. And so the thing to do is to get out of bed and get on with it. And so in this passage, what Paul wants from us, what he wants for us is that we would be confident 
in God's love for us in Christ Jesus. He wants us to be confident, no matter what the circumstances that we face or we will face, there is nothing that can separate us from his love. God is for you. He is not against you. And everything else and everyone else who lines up against you has been rendered irrelevant by his love. Everything that you face, whether it's good or whether it's bad, now work for you in your best interest. God is for you. And so even if it's just you and him against the world, that's a winning team. And so tomorrow and every day, the best thing to do is just to get out of bed and get on with it. Confident in his love for you because he did not even spare his own son but gave him up for us all. And so, of course, he loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and for the fact that we can know that you love us, no matter our circumstances, because Jesus has died for us. And so, Father, we pray that you would help each one of us in this room to wake up every morning and be able to help ourselves, tell ourselves what's true. And Father, we thank you that there is nothing, nothing in the present, nothing in the future, nothing anywhere that can separate us from your love for us in the Lord Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.